What is up, everybody? This is Toffee Blues USA. I am Jerry again. I continue to be uh, Toffee Blues USA, your source for all things Everton, American style. Uh, so, yeah, I'm Jerry. I'm based out of Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Joining me today, uh, he's described. he's been described as the sultry american accent on the blue room podcast i don't think I, I i just can't even do like a cool voice when i talk to this guy it's just a it's just a very smooth voice uh rob vera is joining us uh pretty great guy and i've been looking forward to this phone for a long time so rob thanks for coming on man oh you bet jerry man i'm glad to do it uh glad to talk to glad glad to be on an everton podcast with people who know how to actually speak the language so you know that's no, just kidding that's the uh the whole sultry american uh accent thing is just because um i don't really have a sultry american accent but they think i think that i'm on i'm on podcasts with people from a very specific part of the world uh, on the blue room who for whatever reason just they will ask me at times to just repeat words i've said because they find it to be a novelty i imagine it's what like if you grew up in a, a small town or a suburb and and there was like one english kid in the class everyone was really fascinated by him or whatever i don't know why but they 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 seem to to occasionally just get a kick out of the way I say certain words, uh, so that's that's where that comes from. I promise. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I remember when I was I was in a in college and I had some friends. I, you know, I'm from North Carolina, right? And so I had some friends from Jersey, and I was visiting visiting them in Jersey, their family and everything, and their entire family surrounded me, and and was like, "Hold on, where'd you say you're from?" And I was just like, "Winston Salem, North Carolina." And they're like, what? North Carolina? You know, and it was just, it was, I, I and it, it comes out every once in a while. You know, my Southern accent will creep out, especially if I'm talking to like my family members from like the, the country, you know, the country county surrounding. So it just kind of comes out. Uh, it's a little bit different uh, <laughs> uh, than, than uh, you, you with the, uh, the Scousers and uh, our buddies over there. Uh, so, you where are you based in in Merca? Uh, in America, I'm based in <laughs> Oklahoma City. Uh, right. I've lived in Oklahoma since, so I'm from the Dallas Fort Worth area originally in Texas, but grew up and grew up there. But went to college at the University of Oklahoma uh, in the late starting in the late '90s, and just ended up staying here and uh, moved to Oklahoma City in 2005, and have been here ever since. Wow! So this is not a written down question this is improvised but sure. oklahoma city i've never known anybody from there give me a, a quick pitch for living in oklahoma city <laughs> um <laughs> oklahoma city is one of the best small big cities in america i would yeah? say um it's definitely one of those places that um especially over the last you know 10 years or so has gotten to be a cooler place to live we've got uh we've had a really good nba basketball team now for uh you know a good 12 years or so in terms of just having a relevant competitive product and uh but you know just in terms of the city's growth and um 
the way in which uh, art and food and culture and sports have all kind of taken that next step up here. It's been yeah. nice, but it's one of those places that has um, a lot to offer, but yet it, the pace is really good. I mean, I, I'm never going to really complain about traffic having come from Dallas originally or uh, having family from New York. So uh, it, it's definitely a a way of living in a city without feeling like you live in a really oppressive city urban environment, I guess. So, yeah, so you're getting a lot of yeah. <laughs> so you're getting a lot of cultural opportunities. Um, yeah, yeah, more than you would think. Yeah, more than you would think in Oklahoma City. I don't know what people probably think of Oklahoma City. I'm not sure what I thought of Oklahoma City. I, I didn't really think much about it when I was in college even though I went to school at the University of Oklahoma, which is about 25 minutes away from Oklahoma City, but I didn't come up here that often. Um, but the city's definitely gotten a lot cooler over the last uh, decade and a half or so. Nice. Uh, do you, are you uh, one of those folks sort of like myself that tend to watch the match solo in your house? Or are you one of those who meets up with a supporters group and enjoys the camaraderie? Or do you do a little bit of both? Yeah, well, obviously, uh, you know, in, in a pre-COVID world, I would make an effort oh. to meet up with the uh, Everton OKC group, uh, you know, here in the city. I will freely admit have not been as uh, avid a match goer over the years. I think they've made it so easy to watch it at home. And then part of it, too, is that when it's that early in the morning, sometimes, you know, for us, it's a Sometimes, like the Derby was a 6.30 a.m. start. Uh, most, you know, typical 3 p.m. local time matches uh, over in, in Liverpool are 9 a.m. here. And so it doesn't always lend itself as well to that as I'd like. But, um, you know, Everton does have really good, surprisingly, uh, a nice little tight-knit group. Uh, and I think uh, I think possibly even a, a slightly growing group of Everton supporters here in Oklahoma City. But obviously it's not what you, the kind of numbers that the, the arse, you know, the, 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 my favorite, uh, my favorite group is the Sooner Gooners, who are the Arsenal group, and uh, which I think is just a great name. Uh, but them and the United, guys, Manchester United nice. group. Yeah. Yeah. So there, but having said that, uh, we may not be, um, you know, it's kind of like, uh, it's like a Tobias Funke in Arrested Development. There are dozens of us. Dozens, dozens of us. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know if there are dozens, but there's at least a dozen. So I'll say that for sure. I, I, I'm only I'm only hoping y'all are all wearing the cutoff jean shorts while you watch the matches. Just saying, it's <laughs> it's so great. <laughs> so your local your local support group is uh, Everton OKC. I think that's what yeah. you said. I just yeah. want to make sure I gave a little shout out to to that. And so anybody in the Oklahoma City area needs to be checking that out, assuming you feel comfortable doing that. Yeah, I know. It's a little harder these days, of course, but uh, virtually, uh, you know, I know that uh, they're, they're on Facebook, they're on Twitter and so on. Very cool. So how are you? And I have to ask this of like every, all, all of the American folk, uh, how are you an Everton supporter? Oh, how did I get into this mess? Um, okay, well, honestly, it started with, a, it really is a combination of both randomness and fate and you know there's that that expression about um 
you know, people who are Everton supporters, you know, they're, they're chosen <laughs> because they were, you know, oftentimes it's referenced to being, you know, kind of born into it or, or, you know, once Everton has touched you. And um, of course, after a lot of years of bad Everton, I've always said, you know, where on the doll did Everton touch you, um, you know? <laughs> Um, but I would say it's a combination of two things. One, randomness in that um, back in the early 2000s, so this would have been around 2004. And the reason I remember it so specifically is because that's the, the, uh, the year Everton made a Cinderella run to fourth place and made it to the Champions League. And uh, around that time, I was a big hockey fan. I grew up in the Dallas area, big Stars fan. Um, they won the cup on my 20th birthday. Uh, really into hockey. And then around, I think it was 0304, they went through a labor stoppage or whatever. And so I suddenly had this really thing, you know, sport I was really passionate about that suddenly was gone. And I don't, I randomly, I'd randomly come across, um, I'd been listening to a, a sports radio station in, in the Dallas area that I've still listened to to this day I grew up with. And one of the guys on one of the shows there, who is ironically a Liverpool fan, had posted this blog, because this is back in the early 2000s, about, um, you know, he'd started talking a little bit about following the Premier League, and he posted this blog post that was pretty elaborate about um, how to choose, uh, if you're an American, how would you go about choosing a team, you know, and kind of explaining to you the tiers of here, if you want a team that's, you know, is going to always win uh, or a team that's a little more historic is historical but a little more challenging or whatever I felt it was too easy to just pick at the time Arsenal who were great or United um, you know because I'm a glutton for punishment clearly and I just thought ah, that's just too easy and so I came across, I remember at first I'm like, I came across Middlesbrough. I'm like, oh, that's kind of, they're kind of cool. And I'm like, no, 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 didn't, just didn't feel right. And then I came across Everton and I don't recall exactly why, but I just started reading up on Everton a little bit. They'd had a few American players. Not that I really cared about that, but I thought, well, there's a, there's some entry portal here into them uh, through that. And then I came to find out and I was at the time working at a school called Oklahoma City University. So I work in higher, I work in higher ed. Now I work for a software mm -hmm. company in higher ed. But before that, I worked in admissions at this school called Oklahoma City University in Oklahoma City. It's a small private school. Uh, the men, the men's and women's soccer coach who had been there for a couple decades when I first started working there, and he recently retired in the last few years, is a man named Brian Harvey. He is uh, from Liverpool and is the brother of the great Colin Harvey, <laughs> former, you know, obviously Colin Harvey is part of the, the Holy Trinity and, uh, you know, is, is one of the, you know, former manager and just this legend. And so uh, I somehow got into a conversation with him and mentioned something about Everton and he just, his eyes lit up and he talked to me about it. And, and then suddenly I'm like, this is a sign, you know, and I, I don't know that I really believe totally in signs, but I thought, ah, this is a sign. I've got someone here who's a local, he's from there, he's passionate about it. I, if I ever have questions, I can ask him. So back then it was just, all right, I'm just going to choose Everton. And I happened to choose them. And when they were going through kind of a Cinderella run in 04, 05 to a, you know, top four spot. And it felt like every game was one nil and they were just barely eking these games out. And of course, I thought at the time, 
you know, the first season I ever watched Everton, they made it to the Champions League. And I thought, man, it's going to be like this forever. It's only going to go up from here. <laughs> and so by then I was getting hooked into learning about the players and how the transfer window worked and why there's no playoffs in the Premier League and all these things. But <laughs> but more than anything, I think I just got sucked into the culture, the people. Um, and really, that's probably that's definitely what has kept me with Everton all these years, it, obviously it's not been all the ridiculous winning, uh, but it has been, there's something about the club that's great and the people that is so great. And I have made some of the very best friends of my life because of Everton. And so, yeah, that's how I got into Everton. It's, it's a combination of, you know, I, it's somehow I'm, I'm, I'm working at a place uh, in the middle of America where the longtime legendary soccer coach just happens to be the brother Thanks. of one of the greatest Everton legends ever. So, I mean, it's, it's just one of those things that I felt like uh, I'd, I was chosen and uh, Everton touched me or whatever. And uh, here <laughs> <I am. laughs> Such an awesome story, man. That's great. Uh, yeah, it, it's weird. How, that's what I'm starting to find out is, is typically there is uh, – people have certain notions, certain things are drawing them toward potentially saying, okay, Everton's my team. And then there's some bizarre fate-based shove. You know what I mean? It's just very yeah. like, and that's, you know, that I mean that you are, uh, oddly enough, a, not the same type of story because yours is bafflingly fateful. You know, it's just such a good, yeah, that's really cool. Uh, you know, mine was, was very simple. I was trying to figure it out. And all of a sudden I was like, you know, I like, I like Spurs a little bit. I really like Everton. It feels right. And then I watched Everton beat Spurs. You know, Yelovich just scores this amazing goal oh. at the end of the game. Oh, and yes. Great yes. Goal. And, and because I was like, I was on the fence. I was on the fence. And I, and I saw that and I was just like, oh. yeah. Like it's, it's like, it's like you can't not do it then, you know? Yeah. So once you feel once you have that feeling, they that's the thing about Everton is that they'll give you that feeling every once in a while. And so, and it, you can't forget it. It's like um, sometimes like right now, it's it's pretty great because this is the best we've ever been since I started following them in terms of just talent. I know it's an mm -hmm. early start to the season, but you know, over the years, it's just been those kind of that, that Yelovich goal is a great example. The Fellaini uh, goal against Manchester United years ago, where he, you know, he won, we won that game one nil. And it was one of those things where, where they give you these moments and these tastes of this drug like glory and, and you feel it. And then you're chasing that feeling for a long time. Uh, and it's, and sometimes it doesn't deliver, but yet all the other things about Everton beyond just what happens on the pitch keeps you sucked in. And, and, yeah. and it's never boring. They may be boring on the pitch, but there's always some drama surrounding the club and the, the, the players. And, and uh, obviously social media has made, uh, or as we call it, Everton Twitter is, is always constantly entertaining on some level. And uh, wow. that's how I ended up kind of getting sucked into this whole world. Yeah. Uh, so I do need to ask as well. Uh, how do you? How does? Uh, how does Rob Vera uh, get get uh, get in with the Blue Room? Oh, um, yeah. It's it's honestly Twitter was sort of the gateway drug to all of it. Um, I really what started first was um, just 
interacting over the years on Twitter about Everton with people and occasionally it would just be replying to uh, you know guys like Greg O'Keefe uh, who at the mm -hmm. time worked at the Echo and now he works at the Athletic um, then it was and then you know Patty Boylan and Matt Jones uh, right. just responding to them and and probably for years not you know just kind of being one of the one of the many people who respond to them and not necessarily hearing back but then occasionally they would reply or they'd favorite something or whatever. And we, you know, just little tiny whispers of a conversation, nothing's that significant. But over time, it's a, it's a weird thing how that relationship and that knowledge, even names that I now recognize as people who I've never met, but yet reply to me constantly, you know, you just, they, they start to be committed to your memory somehow. And so um, at one point years ago, um, I got asked uh, by Greg O'Keefe when he worked at the Echo to write their weekly uh, fan column, mm -hmm. View from the Gladys. And I think that, I can't remember if it was because someone had dropped out at the last minute or what have you asked, you know, are you interested in writing at all? I think he felt like from some of the stuff I posted on Twitter that I could write. And uh, that's, that's maybe debatable. I've written a bunch of Everton stuff over the years, but it's, I've slowed down. I've slowed down lately and I, I do need to get back to it. But um, so I ended up writing it and it was sort of a novelty that a this American guy was writing and not sounding like a, I guess like a total idiot talking about Everton and then uh, even though I had a few people who were like, you know, what do you know, you never even been to a game, you're not even from here. What are you talking about and mm -hmm. Uh, strangely, that felt like it validated me. I'm like, oh, I'm getting under someone's skin. That must be good, right? Um, so, but it was just, it was little stuff like that. And then it was, you know, through those interactions on Twitter, suddenly the, you know, a few of them follow me and then get asked to join a WhatsApp group with some of the guys who at the time wrote for the Everton Aren't We website and for, um, you know, did some, some other stuff with the, you know, the time with the blue room. And then at a certain point, I guess it was finally in 2017, uh, my brother and I planned a trip over to finally see, I'd planned to get over before it, it did. It, it never was supposed to take as long as it did. But if you're an American and you've ever been over there, you know, it's, you know, it's not cheap to plan a trip over there. If you've got, you know, if you've got other bills to pay, you've got other things going on. Uh, sometimes you have to just kind of make it happen. And I, and I finally did. And Matt Jones, who I had at that point knew through Twitter, decided he would take the chance to meet up with my brother and I one night while we were over there. And we watched I found out he was into the NFL and we had a few beers and we just kind of hit it off. And then uh, I think and then I eventually started to meet Pat, uh, Patty Boyland and, and uh, you know, Mike, Mike Diasha and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and obviously Dave Downey. And so it just, it just sort of, I, I've now been over three times and spent more time than, you know, each on each visit than the last and just continue to develop relationships through chatting. And honestly, doing podcasts is us having conversations really every single week, multiple times. I mean, I talk more to those guys than I talk to a lot of members of my own family, sadly, you know, I mean, just the way it works. And yeah. so it really was just something that kind of built up organically over time. And I still find it odd to this day that 
I'm, I'm on the blue room, which has grown to become this pretty big, you know, yeah. in the Everton podcast world is pretty big thing. And I'm, I'm still pretty much, uh, I know the guys from the American, uh, American toffee podcast have guessed it on there before, but I'm pretty much the only regular American uh, on there. And now I'm just sort of part of it. And I don't know how this happened. And I didn't mean for all this to necessarily happen. But I, I have to say that it is a good, you know, everyone needs their hobbies, everyone needs their diversions. And it's become something that, uh, you know, when I'm not doing my, my regular day job is, is a lot of fun, even during the bad times with Everton. Um, it's, it's always been an interesting and compelling conversation. So that's, that's kind of how I got, uh, got brought into this world. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, very cool. Now it's uh, for people, for everybody out there who is hearing uh rob mention these folks uh pretty much uh, it's like the it's almost like a who's who of everton twitter <laughs> you're like oh they have good opinions and they have good opinions and they're really smart and that's very interesting you know what I mean? and so it's that group uh for for those of you who are somehow watching this and you haven't uh like listened to the blue room i just got to go ahead and say give it a give it a little you know give it a shove you gotta you need to you need to listen to them uh yeah really really level-headed folks who know the game and at the very least um bring like opinions can, that can be backed up you yeah. know which is which is really always refreshing and yeah you know well, I, even, even if you disagree you're like yeah go ahead sorry yeah. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, those guys have grown up with it uh, since birth. Mm -hmm. they, they're season ticket holders. They're as plugged into it as, as anyone can be. And that's probably, my, my value is being the, uh, the guy with the, who's the outsider who kind of sees the game and sees Everton through maybe a different lens. And, and that's what really, like, American fans, like, that's, I think, where we, we do have something to offer to the overall conversation mm -hmm. is that, we grew up consuming professional sports in such a different way and it's a different paradigm. And so I think sometimes that, that adds some layers to the overall conversation, or at least I hope it does. By the way, when I first got into this, I just have to, this is, I was absolutely obsessed with the transfer window, Rob. Oh, yeah. I had had nothing like that in sports before. And there, I was like, Oh, go to this website. There's a chat room. Oh, let's go, let's go, let's go to this forum. Oh, they have all the, exclusive insider details and i was just i was ridiculous and i yeah i'm admitting this just saying uh i'm not as into it as i used to be because i'm starting to be able to kind of see through a lot of the bullshit uh yeah. uh but um and also there's not as many like leaked rumors now i think yeah. it's a little bit different there's not as much weird stuff happening <laughs> well yeah. the, it's the what like journalism over there is the wild wild west really I've always it that way because you know like we we pull up espn.com and there's a story and we just click on it and we're like oh this is they're reporting some facts about something that happened over there you can't automatically assume any of that no. and and so over the years i think my fascination with the transfer window is almost like the actual players who come into everton is that, that's almost secondary to the the game of it the mm -hmm. the the atmosphere of it the 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 chess match of it all the the do you believe this guy or this journalist from this publication or not and really you learn over the years that there are only a handful of them that are are definitely nailed on reliable and you know to your point it's uh since marcel brands has come in frankly mm -hmm. the the 
the spigot has been shut off a little bit mm -hmm. in terms of, of the information that gets out to the kind of what I used to refer to as the kind of the holy trinity of, of Everton journalism, uh, Paul Joyce and Dominic King and Andy Hunter. I mean, now they still get some information, but it's now it's it's other people who get it and you but you, they don't get the, the those three guys don't get everything they used to and so you just sort of have to follow the breadcrumb trails at times yeah. but uh it's weird that we have to exist that way but you know there's not i think the closest thing to an adrian like a Woj or whatever like that we have in bass like in the nba here mm -hmm. or adam Schefter in the nfl is uh um Fabrizio Romano. Oh my uh, gosh. Works, yeah. I mean, that guy, yeah. that, that guy is, I don't know when he sleeps during the window. I swear he is tweeting, you know, at all hours. And yet he's been this, this particular window in the last couple. I mean, he's, he's right most of the time. And so he seems to be on his game, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a crazy media atmosphere for sure. I, I have it on reliable source here, man, that Fabrizio Romano is actually five dudes. Yeah, he's, probably. Probably. he's five dudes he must just saying yeah. he has to be <laughs> they all have sign in it's fine so last last thing uh i have to ask i have to do this because i i i've been you know softly twitter stalking you for years uh so uh i i know you're a big time music guy i know you talk about i've seen you you post about spoon before which is like this band's big, it's a big band for me and my wife. It's like one of our songs and stuff. Yeah, that, oh, that I'm admitting that out loud. Uh, but but uh, so we're talking about your enormous record collection. So I would ask you, as a last thing, do you have a band knowing zero or very little about me, <laughs> a band that you could recommend to me that I probably haven't heard of, and you're like, you're gonna, you're gonna love this man. Oh boy. Oh and I'm gosh. surprising you with this, I know, which is the point, but I was curious. That you haven't heard of, well, I will say like so much of my, so I host, I host a weekly music show here in Oklahoma City on um, KOS, KOSU, uh, the Spy FM, which is, uh, it's like 91.7, 107.5, but it's also all just on the internet. So you can just mm -hmm. Google it and find it. But I also tweet about it. So if you follow me, you'll, you'll find it out. I, and by the way, Jerry, I can tweet something about Everton and get hundreds of sometimes like I can get really fortunate with people getting super sucked into replying. I tweeted some random thing about after the Derby the other day about, about Liverpool complaining about, you know, their treatment or whatever. And it got like all this engagement, hundreds of retweets. And I'm like, I don't, and I'm not, it sounds like humble bragging, but my, my point I'm trying to make is I wish I could get people into music that much. Whenever I talk about music, I never get that much excitement about it, uh, comparatively speaking. But um, so anyway, most of my music focus week to week is on um, my show is a, a time specific, not a genre specific right. show. So it's 80s, 90s and 2000s, uh, that 30 year period that is pretty much the defining music period of my life. Um, having said that, when you, I get asked the question of who would I recommend, you know, a, a new band or whatever, I probably like, or a band that you haven't heard of, I would probably recommend, and I posted about this a few times, uh, a band that I just learned about this year, who right now have my favorite album of 2020, and they are called Nation of Language. And uh, they, their album, uh, their, um, 
their uh, date, I guess it's their full length debut that came out this year is currently my album of the year. And the best way I can describe it is um, that if you heard it today um, and you had never heard the album or heard of them and didn't know anything about, you know, who they were, or what time period, you would think that this was a classic new wave synthy post-punk album from like 1984. And it's, and every song is awesome. There's not a weak song on it, but the name of the album is Introduction Presence. And it is like, it's one of those albums that my wife, who's definitely not as much of a music nerd as me. Um, and if she was, then we probably wouldn't be married to each other. Um, it's one of those ones that I randomly put on and she's like, this is really good. Who is this? You know, like it's just one of those albums that just really, really sucks you in. Uh, so that that's probably the band that I'm going to bat for the most right now. Um, and so Google them nation of language. Uh, gotcha. They are, they're a young, they're just an indie band out of Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. So who knows where they're actually from? Maybe they are from Brooklyn, but I kind of doubt it. Um, but they, they sound, they sound like a, you know, if you're in a new order or echo in the Bunnymen or the Depeche mode, yeah. uh, you know, that, that kind of stuff. I mean, this will be right in your wheelhouse. So Sweet. definitely recommend Definitely recommend them. As far as spoon goes, by the way, Jerry, I'll, I'll put that back on you. Spoon, I would argue is a band that just refuses to make a weak album. They're all really good. <laughs> like there is no bad spoon album, but, um, if you had to, if I had to put you on the spot and say, you have to pick a favorite, what is your favorite Spoon album? Mine is Girls Can Tell. Girls Can Tell. That's mine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, whatever, Jerry. Don't just take mine. <laughs> no, I promise. I promise. That's the one I always go to lately. Oh. Like, that's the one. That, but it's not the first one that, that I got into. Yeah, first one it wasn't my I, first one either. That I the got first into. one, I mean, I, I, like, I got into them late, like, after that. So when Gimme Fiction came out, that was, you know, I heard I turned my camera on and I was just like, Whoo! you know yeah. but uh but that i summon you song oh my gosh yeah yeah, yeah. and so uh I, I was lucky enough to get to see them in chapel hill carborough area mm, and nice. uh like just after it had been i'd only been into them for like a month and they were coming i was just like you know and me and my wife got mm. tickets and we we're so psyched because you know we we had this this one song and she gets sick couldn't go mm. so the most romantic thing I've ever done. The only romantic thing I've ever done is when our song came on, I put, I called her and put it up, had her listen to the music through the phone. I like that you're framing it as romantic that you left your sick wife at home to still go to the concert. <laughs> That's but, all I got. That's all she dude, told me. To I do. totally don't blame. Like once you're married, you understand. Like, look, they can be sick anytime. <laughs> they're probably, they're probably not going to die. They can probably take care of themselves. Go to the show because Spoon, you know, your, your wife's there every day. Spoon only comes around once every couple of years to your hometown. So you gotta, you gotta go see him when you can. I totally get that. <laughs> I, I, I legit, uh, it, it's funny that that's like the most romantic thing I've done. <laughs> your own little John, John. I, I, I may be kind of horrible now that I think about nah, it, Rob. It's dude, <laughs> no, no, you made the right choice. You made the right choice. Don't worry about it, man. Uh, so, yeah. So very cool. Uh, so nation of language, uh, we're looking that up. Me and me and the wife Dude, look that up I, as soon as I get I, up. I, I will uh, check back with in with you in about a week and see what you thought of the album. I'm I excited. Like it. I'm excited to check yeah. that out. So uh, we we do need to get on to the football. Uh, 
So okay. really quick, uh, before I do that, I wanted to make sure that I welcome all the uh, Liverpool supporters who are watching. We want to say thank you for watching and supporting our Everton fan channel. It's really cool of you. I know you're probably wanting us to talk about the Derby. We're not going to talk about the Derby at all. So I'll give you a second to leave. Okay, cool. So uh, we are now going to do a, uh, a preview. Uh, or not a preview. What the hell, Jerry? We're going to do a little Derby review uh, now. <laughs> I, I lied because I was just hoping they would go away. Um, yeah. But I really do appreciate them supporting us and giving us views. It's just sweet of them. So uh, for those of you who uh, didn't watch, if you don't want a spoiler, fingers and ears. Earmuffs, earmuffs, <laughs> but uh, but yeah. You don't know uh, the result by now. I'm sorry. That's I feel fault. really <laughs> worried about you. Uh, <laughs> but uh, two two draw. Um, and, and sadly, there were no talking points at all. Uh, oh, Miss yeah. Darby, none at all. Um, so actually, I mean, yeah, yeah. I literally have written down just a a plethora of uh, if I'm quoting three minutes. Uh, I, 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 yeah. So. I've got some talking points. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to list some talking points, Rob, and I'm going to give you a choice where you want to go. Right. Uh, just because I was like, I, I, want to, I want to shake it up a little, see what happens. So main talking points from the Derby. Uh, number one, I thought they looked sharp and incisive for long stretches. During yes. Um, Mane and Salah goals, both look pretty good. Yeah, no, pretty I mean, solid goals. They're great players, and they're gonna great players score goals. Yeah, even if you're, yeah, yep. Um, uh, Pickford tackle Van Dyke injury that happened. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. With you? I feel like uh, everyone's can, talked about that. All. <laughs> so. Have they? Have, yeah, have they? I mean, my God. Yeah, uh, Keen and DCL goals. Uh, thought those those were also pretty oh, sweet. Awesome. And he actually had more chances than just that. Yeah. Um, Charleston red card happened. Uh, the, uh, their celebrations were absolutely crushed by VAR at the end of the game. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that, that, was, that was them awesome. being on the other end of that as opposed to other uh, times. Um, we had some, I think it's safe to say we had some disappointing performances from certain players, but we also sure. had some strong performances from certain players, sure. um, which fair. is really cool. Um, and so, I mean, that's, there's a heck of a lot of talking points there or your choice. So I, where do you want to go? What are you into right now? I'm gonna I'm gonna combine a couple of those. Uh, one, the, the first one you mentioned, uh, how good Liverpool played, and then um, uh, our performances uh, as a whole, because they they really are related. So, mm. I think one thing that that um, we can absolutely acknowledge, and, and I sort of suspected this would happen after they lost seven to two and they were humiliated and had to hear about it for two weeks, you know, during an international break. I really didn't want anything like that to happen as much as everyone sort of enjoys any time that the rare moments where they have to actually endure any sort of uh, setbacks or anything. Yeah. I certainly didn't want them to lose before they played us, um, but certainly didn't want them to lose the way they lost to us yeah. just because you can expect when you're talking about because let's be honest, um, they're, they are arguably, um, and maybe not even arguably, the best, uh, the best side in the world right now. Um, and certainly in England, they're the champions. They won the, the, uh, the Champions League the year before. I mean, they're, they're really good. And so you had to expect a reaction. 
Um, I think that they came out and were really sharp and they looked exactly like the dangerous, um, high pressure, high intensity side that just doesn't let you breathe right from the get go. And mm -hmm. it was a combination of that plus the fact that we didn't, I'm not saying that we weren't ready, but we just, I, I think it was a lot for us to cope with. And I think that um, Everton had, um, I think if Everton had played Liverpool the week after um, their Villa game, uh, that it might've been better um, mm -hmm. or when Everton were, because I think everyone going away for international break and stopping that momentum and then guys traveling back long distances from South America and, you know, we don't totally know the extent of uh, was Yeri Mina fully fit or not. No one really, you know, like it's all these. And then obviously that Seamus Coleman tried to gut it out, but he couldn't make it through. Um, Alan and Richarlison were both coming back from their own, you know, things, but Alan especially. And so you got pretty much what I think you could argue is not an unsurprising um, performance from Everton from the standpoint of not having that same crispness and sharpness that they'd shown in the first four games of the season. But what I do want to point out, and I think this is where we, you can take from this game a really encouraging sign about Everton taking that next step is that you saw a side that went down one, one nil three minutes into the game and everyone had, I guarantee you can't, no matter how optimistic you've been or how happy you've been about Everton, you absolutely were feeling like, here we go again. <laughs> you can't, it, because if you've watched this particular fixture, it's just impossible. You always feel like they always have the upper hand. They always have the advantage. The most encouraging thing to me was the way we responded. The fact that we were able to even it up. Um, we didn't allow this to turn into an avalanche. We didn't, you know, hang our heads. And really that's how we've been all season. And, and so I was really encouraged by just the response. Uh, the fact that we came back from a one, you know, one goal deficit twice in that game. Um, you can say what you want, obviously, about the VAR at the end, whatever. Um, I, I'm, I'm not going to apologize for that. Mm -hmm. And anyone who asks you to is full of shit because um, God knows those sorts of things have always gone against yeah. us. So yep. don't feel bad when occasionally, uh, you know, a broken clock is right twice a day sort of thing and we finally get a break. And right. so I, I was just encouraged that you have to kind of, I think you have to, to really stop yourself and remember what we're talking about here compared to this time only, what, six months ago maybe, mm -hmm. or when we did Project Restart or whatever. We're talking about an Everton who, if you want to critique players and you know moments here or there you are still talking about an Everton side that are at the top of the Premier League yep. after five matches and have not lost a game like say that to yourself and sit there and just kind of drink that in and sit with it for a few minutes it's I, I even when the words come out of my mouth, it's sometimes it just feels like, is this real life? Um, yeah. And so I am in I am trying to live in the moment and really appreciate it. But I thought the Derby was the best possible outcome, given that they played way better than us. 
we, by all accounts, uh, probably deserve to lose that game just based on the performance and on the refereeing decisions and a variety of other things. But deserve isn't going to be factored into the final point standing at the end of the season. Historically, 50 years from now, if anyone remembers this game at all, they're probably not going to remember details, but they'll just see that it ended 2-2. That's all that's important is finding a way, and Everton found a way. And now they come into a three-game stretch where they're past this first big monster, and now it's time Mm -hmm. to prove that this start wasn't a fluke. And so, um, you know, I talked about this with Dave Downey this morning on our podcast, uh, our monthly podcast on the Blue Room that just came out uh, uh, tonight called The Long Long Con, which where we do it once a month. But we talked about how big and pivotal this this three-game stretch is. But but I thought the Derby performance was – grit and guts and hanging in there despite a lack of great performances overall even though obviously guys like Calvert-Lewin and James Rodriguez and Luca Dean especially were were awesome Michael Keane my gosh yeah Michael Keane was yeah I mean Michael Keane had the goal he was good I I thought honestly the the first goal they scored was just I mean it was just so awesome but you know it was it was Coleman who kind of got juked out of his shorts um but even their second goal like you know Yeri Mina had been fine up until that point and then he mm-hmm. literally did the thing where he tries to block a shot and it go it, it, it's it's like a hockey goalie uh yeah. if you watch hockey the goalie will do a, a, a an instinctual kick save yeah only it bounces to the wrong guy gets right on his stick and he shoots it past you well, when you do that against uh, a guy like Salah um, or, or Mane, you know, those guys yeah. are two of the best in the world. They're going to, you know, and so I'm not trying to totally explain away what I mean is that moment there. It's a mistake, but it's also like you're playing the best attacking force in the world. I mean, this is the kind of thing that will happen sometimes. So for Everton to find a way to gut that out was big. But no, my, look, Michael Keane was, was great. I, I think that James Rodriguez, if he is taking the corners – um, I said this earlier today. There's no reason that Yari Mina and, and Michael Keane shouldn't score at a minimum eight goals each this season. I'm just throwing that out there. I, you know, 10 is probably a bit much, but why not? Why not? They, that guy can put that ball anywhere he wants to, and those guys are just giants in the box. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, what impressed me, it continues to impress me about Michael Keane this season. I'm seeing more of it, it seems like. Uh, his downfield passing, uh, the long balls he was playing consistently to the wings uh, and getting the ball forward. It's nice. It's, it's really, and it's, it's purposeful. It's mindful. It's not just what a lot of times, and it's, it's actually going to feet or going to chest. And it's actually, it's to our player. It's, yeah. it's nice to see that, to see a, a big guy like that, bringing that kind of game, um, you know, and, and it did seem like he dealt with challenges well. Uh, yeah. Um, Michael Keane is a perfect example of what we all hoped we would get out of someone like Carlo Ancelotti, which is improving the players that we already had. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. it's easy to just say, hey, new guy comes in, bring in 11 new players. But that's just not the reality. The reality is, is that, you know, Carlo Ancelotti has been tasked with taking, you know, average players and making them good, good players, making them great. Uh, and Michael Keane, uh, now, you know, he's, he's healthy now. Um, I think, I think Carlo Ancelotti fills those guys with more confidence than they maybe even have a right to have, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. Michael Keane has physical limitations. He's not, 
He's not, he's not incredibly fast. He's not incredibly skilled. And there used to be a time where whenever he had the ball on his foot, I was like, oh, please just make a short pass and get, get rid of it because they want him to have it. That's not the case. To your point, you're right, Jerry. I mean, like, that's the difference now is I feel like Michael Keane suddenly is filled with confidence and he's trying longer balls. And suddenly, you know, uh, and Yerry Mean has always been a good passer. And so it's one of those things where if you can have two center halves that can pass the ball and be comfortable with it, mm-hmm. that, that really can change your fortunes overall because then you're not having to just kick everything 60 yards down the field. So, I, yeah. I, I, yeah, no, Michael Keane's been very impressive this season so far. And, and generally speaking, everyone was, was worried about the doom and gloom of, you know, what happens if you lose Mason Holgate and can Yarimina right. and Michael Keane play together and say what you want, but uh, they have marshaled the defense that has, you know, that is undefeated in the uh, Premier League so far this season. Yep. And then they've each contributed goals and, and I think, and they've had, they've each had some really strong performances. And so I think that if you're, if you're, if you're too critical of either of them, I think you're, you're really kind of uh, barking up the wrong tree. Cause I think that they've both been pretty good, uh, you know, value for money all season. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I think uh, Mina has the occasional lapse in concentration, but he's still, you know, I still think he's doing a good job, you know, yeah. for the most part. And he's had some games are better than others for him, frankly, sure. which well, is uh, so true most, work, most working on, yeah. yeah, working on consistency and concentration. And I feel like that's just, uh, with a, a guy who's been injury prone in the past, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I, I would just like to build him up and, and get him just a consistency with playing. And I feel yes. like with that consistency of playing is going to come the concentration, going to come the communication and those instincts and knowing where you're supposed to be with other people on the field. You know, yeah. let's, I think that'll help, help him a lot. Well, and I think for all players, but especially, you know, and, and I remember when Michael Keane first came to the club and he had some major health issues too. And, and, you know, he's had concussion and things, you know, guys like that, they, but it's true of most players, but especially I think defensive players who have to get into certain patterns and defensive rhythms and coordination and communication with each other. There, there's just no substitute for being on the pitch. And as much as, you can argue about this player's skill set or talent more than anything else. Like I'm a huge Jerry Mina fan. I'm like the president of his fan club. I love him, <laughs> but because I think I love his personality and I love oh, all yeah. the greater than the sum of his parts contributions to that lot, to that dressing room and all these things. But I am the first to admit that um, his, the biggest thing he's got to prove is that he can stay on the stay on the field and and if he can't you know that's true of every player um you know that's that's why Theo Walcott never turned into what a lot of people thought he would be over over the course of his careers that he couldn't stay healthy of course then he comes to Everton and never misses time as much as that drove me insane uh you know but uh you know he's still a good guy but you know it's just one of those things but um yeah um there's just been elevations in performance across the board Cal I mean Calvert-Lewin has certainly proven me wrong I I, I thought his mm-hmm. ceiling was you know this and it's certainly and now he's found a way to be the best version of himself and and so um, you know and Richarlison has I think still scored one league goal so far this season right. and yet no one denies how important he is to things right. like what happens when he starts scoring? What happens when Hamas Rodriguez fully gets to know this team? I mean, I think that the that, that we don't fully understand what the ceiling for this for this particular iteration of Everton actually is yet, which is exciting. Yeah, that Hamas Rodriguez ball across 
the middle to the far post. Richarlison's diving for it, oh. gets ahead on it, hits the hits that left post. Uh-huh. Uh, it was a beautiful play, um, and you know we had we had some of those. We it, it was one of those things where I feel like the first time when I watched that game, I was kind of like, oh, I'm so disappointed, you know. But then in hindsight, I watched it again today, and I thought, you know, we had chances. They looked more like themselves. They looked more like the team we saw last year um, as far as their decisive nature of their passing. They were so fluid. Their press was, was solid. They created a lot of – I mean, we, had a, a, we, we didn't start playing the game until 15 minutes in, man. You know, we didn't wake up till 15 yeah. minutes. We had a beautiful run of play for about five minutes that resulted in a goal. And then right after that, we gave up a silly foul uh, right just outside the box and gave them a chance. I think Alexander Arnold, the one who took the, took the kick and picked them, made a good save. But it kind of sucked a little of our momentum away. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had flurries. We had chances. Yeah. Um, that's the thing. You know, I look at Richarlison had several chances on goal. DCL had several chances on goal. Yeah. It wasn't a game where we did that not in the face, not in the face kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, what no. we've done before, you know. Um, I, I do think still that we still need to learn – continue to develop on how to Darby, you know, in yeah. terms of the emotion um, and channeling that the right way. Uh, Cause we did slip up a couple of times with that. Yeah. You know? Well, and look, when you, when you've gone this long without winning this game, I mean, it's, yeah. at a certain point you almost run out of ways to talk about it. I mean, it, it, you know, everything just have to do it. They just have to find a way to win. <laughs> win and I think that will be, the breakthrough is obvious as that sounds is they just need to find a way. Like if Aston Villa can beat Liverpool seven to two, mm-hmm. um, there's no reason that once in 10 years, this one, this team can't beat that. I mean, it's just, it's just been a, it's just been one of those things that is taken on a life of its own, but you know, I, I'm still confident that at some point Everton will do it, but I am not even really concerned. I said before the game, like, it's more important that Everton are good again than any single game. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm they're going to lose at some point and that does not invalidate how good this has been. And if they'd lost on Saturday, I'd still say the difference though is, is that not just because Everton got off to a hot start, but it's the way they've won. It's the, it's the number of uh, chances we've created. It's the goals we've scored. It's the way we've been resilient. I, this is so fundamentally different. The underlying characteristics of this thing are so far different than they've been in the past where you were, we were just hoping to score a goal and hold on or get up to one and hold on. There, there is no holding on with this group. You know, I mean, they, they don't act, I mean, don't get me wrong. Sometimes if you're up two nil with 10 minutes to go, you're, you're trying to lock things down, but you're playing smart and sound defensively or whatever. But I think what I mean is that, you can tell and you can sense this feeling when you're watching them, when they're just trying to hold on uh, yeah. for dear life against a side. And right now that's not what they're doing. They, they seem to be like, Oh, the other team score. We're going to go score. And then we're going to go score two or three more. You've got to have that, that arrogant, you know, confidence, uh, you know, that, that sort of, that sort of, uh, you know, 
kind of skull crusher mentality that like this is this is mine and I want it I'm gonna go take it and we just haven't had that from Everton for a long time so that is what has been so encouraging and and when you have a transcendent figure like Carlo Ancelotti and a transcendent player like Hamas Rodriguez uh, suddenly everything can can be can change and so I, I hope that's I hope that this is the sign of of more good good things to come yeah um uh I, I i feel like we should give it one minute one minute one minute to address the red cards okay. one minute and we're done i feel like sure. we got to do it i feel like we got to say we got to <laughs> touch it because it happened it was there and so anyway so what do you got um red cards uh, i mean let's start with the easy one charleston deserved his red for for that tackle i mean he apologized for it afterwards so, i mean i think that that's it was a pretty vicious vicious tackle i don't think that's characteristic of him per se as a player um but he's he's physical and he's intense and he made a rash decision and uh so now he's going to be out three games um shit happens you know i mean that's just how it goes um jordan pickford um I don't, it was a really reckless challenge and I've certainly seen, I certainly would not have, you, you couldn't have complained if he had been given a red card and been booted from the game at that point. Um, but by the letter of the, the rules, it was a judge to be offside and therefore the foul doesn't, I mean, and again, they, they, they tried to explain all the technical aspects of it. Um, but it shouldn't have, I, I don't think it was a red card personally, but I wouldn't have been able to argue strongly against it if they had given it to him. But again, you can't, I think the idea was that they don't award the red card because it's not a foul because it's not a foul if it's offside or whatever. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, whatever. Um, th that's, that's kind of where I'm at. The bottom line is, is Everton definitely benefited from, calls or lack of calls or certainly the the Henderson goal which really may have saved Pickford's ass even more I mean Pickford is just so mm -hmm. on the edge uh, he is a, to me is a huge liability for the team I know he made some really great saves but it's a zero-sum game to me when you're yeah. like that Jordan Henderson goal was embarrassing yes uh, there's no way uh, any any standard level keeper should be letting that in um, I, I would take people argue all the time well you know, we brought this guy in at the transfer window, but is he really going to push Pickford for number one? I don't think the question anymore is about, hey, do we have an option that's as talented as Pickford? The question is, is do we have an option that is more steady and stable and predictable yeah. than Pickford? I've said for year, for a while now, I want a nice, boring goalkeeper. Um, even if he doesn't make the spectacular save that Pickford occasionally makes, and that's why I refer to Pickford as a YouTube goalie, like he makes some really spectacular looking saves. They don't make up for all of the boneheaded decisions and just the weird physical mistakes and the mental stuff yeah. that seems to get into his head. It, he drives me crazy. Now, having said all of that, this, you know, all the furor over him injury, you know, Van Dyke, you know, I don't, he certainly didn't mean to, I think right. it was a reckless challenge, but I don't think he was out to hurt anyone. Um, I, I'm sure you've all seen the very silly, well, Pickford should be banned retrospectively or should be banned for as long as Van Dyke's out or like sports doesn't work that way. I mean, right. life doesn't work that way. And, you know, all these guys go into these games knowing that injury is a part of the sport and it happened. And I certainly am not rooting for bad player for good players, or mm -hmm. great players like Van Dyke to to be injured, but 
let's be honest. Uh, and I know we're over a minute, well over a minute, but um, <laughs> Liverpool have Liverpool have existed in this heavenly world where everything has gone their way. Every yeah. call, every break, uh, complete lack of major injuries now for several years. Let them let them experience what it's like to be any other any other club in the Premier League for a little bit. They can they can hack it. I, I don't know if their fans can hack it, but they they will find a way. They've got plenty of money. They'll figure it out like everyone else has had to. But I don't feel sorry for them at all because this is the kind of thing that happens in sport. But yeah, super eventful game. A lot of weird narratives and stories uh, coming from the bottom line. Glad we got out of it with a draw. Yeah, one of my buddies is a. So red, and so he was telling what me, existence yeah, yeah, I, I <laughs> just kidding. I give, I, I give, I give him a big old hug every time I see him. Like, hope you're okay, man. Uh, no, so, no uh, so, but he was, he was saying, you know, at first he, he was talking about, you know, the challenge and everything, and finally, like, it took me a while after prodding him and kind of being like, look, you know, your team's committed a lot of unpunished red card worthy challenges you have so i'm cool with y'all being pissed about it because it, i i think it should have been a red card they tried to explain it on you know if it, it's just a red card worthy challenge period i think that's for me that's the case there it is it is up to opinions though that's true sure okay it is and that's there at least it's not one of those things where hey that has to be called like that because this action happened no but right. When I finally but your gripes with the officiating, not with Everton. Yes, exactly, exactly. But finally, when I got him to loosen up about that, he said, "In all honesty, he said Pickford's hit a stretch of not great form, and he's doing, he's feeling like he needs to do certain things to try to make the big save." And I was like, "Yes," I was like, "Yes," that right there, that's like that's some sense. I think that's a that is a that's a sensible thing to say, and that's actually taking it from the guy's point of view. He's not out to hurt Van Dyke. I think he's trying to get big to try to, to, to try to block a ball. He can't see. Right. You know, I don't, I think he lost sight of the ball and instead he was just kind of like trying to get big to try to make sure there was no goal coming through. Um, mm. To me, that's the simplest explanation. That's that to me, that's the, but you know, if, if you're a red and you didn't listen to me and you still watched uh, <laughs> first of all, that's messed up. But, uh, but secondly, uh, you know, you, you've earned a little ire, go ahead, but keep it in perspective. A little self-awareness, uh, you know, may help. Just saying. Well, and by the way, if, if Pickford comes in with that tackle and gets the ball, um, then it's just a great tackle and yeah. an unfortunate result. Um, yeah. You know, we just experienced a year ago, a Spurs player literally getting mad at Andre Gomez, chasing him down and tripping him from behind. And it resulted <laughs> in breaking a leg yeah. and the media within an hour were worried about the emotional state of Son yeah. from Spurs. And we're worried and we're already talking about how that red card would be, need to be rescinded as quickly yeah. as possible. I mean, what world are we living in here? I mean, give me a break. You're just yeah. not going to get me to feel whatever I you know and by the way just you know for those of you who've been following Everton for a little while and you're still kind of figuring out the dynamic with with our our rivals across the park just know that there's literally nothing no nothing that could have happened 
um, in regards to Pickford being sent off or suspended that would have changed their react. Like they'd still be mad about something, you know, they'd like they're, they're, they're threatening him and his wife on Instagram guys. Yeah. Um, If you think that if Pickford had been red carded or given a three game ban because of that, that they would have been like, oh, okay, now now justice has been done and I'm not going right. to harass this guy. No, they would have said, you still, you know, basically killed our player. I mean, they're treating it like like there's a funeral procession for Van Dyke out there. Like nothing will make them them happy. Um, and when I say them, I'm talking about their most extreme versions, right. you know, versions of their fans, not all of them. Uh, believe me, they're, they're, they're definitely factions of, uh, of, of the Everton fandom that are – pretty scary too at times but you know like i think to your point jerry right everyone has to just take a step back and realize that in sports i mean you know we we're all watching an nfl season right now that every week is just littered with season ending injuries i mean these this is just the way a contact sport works and and uh, it's unfortunate but you know we go on and yeah. by the way um you won't if I wouldn't have had a problem with Pickford being, hey, Pickford being out for a few games isn't any skin off our back. If anything, I think that probably helps Everton a little bit, and he could probably use a break. And it would have been a nice excuse to to bench him for a little bit. But, you know, I still think he's on a knife's edge with Carlo. I think Carlo has been trying to big him up as much as possible. But we can't keep going like this. He can't keep – he's got to have – several weeks in a row of just very, you know, solid, blase, uneventful performances. That's what we need from him, yeah. we, you know, more than anything else. But you, you can't live your, – your defense is – you know, you can't have defensive players who are constantly in the back of their mind thinking, what, what is the guy behind me thinking right now? What's he going to do? It's, it's, like, it's like a ticking time bomb. So, you know, we'll yeah. see. Very much so. Yeah, it's – this one – yeah, this one was one of those that it, it, it's been a, been a fairly fairly hot topic. Um, I guess, yeah, a little perspective is what I would say. Yeah, have a little have a little perspective, just a little slice of it. Just this is this is this is sport, and I get the need to want to blame. I get that you want to blame and you want like some form of what you consider justice. You know, I get that. It's just welcome to life. Life is just not like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I, yeah. Anyway, sorry. This, this would become a very different podcast. I'm just saying this would become a very different show. All right. Um, anyway, so last thing, yeah. uh, Godfrey. Hey, 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 we should, I, I should have mentioned him earlier. He wasn't listed as the talking points. And then I was like, Oh yeah, he played out of position. Yeah. And he well, did well. Yeah. yeah, he can. He's versatile. Um, yeah, he really is versatile. It was nice to yeah. see that. To see actually in action, you know. I I have some very, uh, you know, most of my Everton uh, friends are way smarter about football than me, um, and and Everton than me. But I've had some of them argue that that he his potentially he he is even better as a as a holding midfielder. I've heard that. But you see him out there. He's so big. Um, I think he probably has to be a center. But, you know, who knows? He's the bottom fast. line is, is that so much it's speed. nice to – yeah, he's, he's got speed. He's got uh, – he can pick out a pass. Um, I think he's already probably coming in and already just a, a really advanced level passer. And, and, look, I think that when you're buying younger players like that to develop, don't 
worry so much about is he this exact position if he's good mm. uh then then that's wonderful you can develop him and and right now honestly he's exactly what we need um I, i've worried about i think seamus coleman has had a surprisingly good start to the season but seamus coleman has a lot of miles uh, on those yes on those weeks. you know what i mean he is he is an you know, I think he's about to, he's 32, I believe. Uh, but I mean, he's a hard 32 in that league. Yeah. He's had some big injuries and he's just played a lot of, a lot of games. And, and um, you know, I have no problem with him starting at this point, if he's going to play as well as he's played, but you just have to have cover. You have to have good cover behind guys at that age, especially you should have it at every position, but especially those kind of players. And, you know, Godfrey right now represents depth at multiple positions. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's what's so exciting. Um, I would rather see him play right back than John Joe Kenny, frankly. Um, and, you know, if I would argue that it, with the Coleman going off in the Derby like he did, um, I, I talked about this with Dave this morning. I think, you know, Godfrey gives you the luxury of not having to rush uh, Seamus Coleman back. Let, let Seamus mm -hmm. Coleman rest another week. Let make, you know, you need to manage. It's like we see in a lot of sports, you know, in the NBA, the NBA they have load management or whatever. Like you gotta, yeah. you gotta manage minutes of older players to get the yeah. best out of them. And I think that with Godfrey, you can spot, you can give him a start in you know, the center of defense or at right back, or, you know, if you wanted to, you know, like for instance, if, if, Gomez and Sigurdsson were both having, uh, you know, injuries and you wanted to kind of play with it. You could say, we're going to move Allen and Decore uh, up a little further and we're going to make Godfrey the holding mid holding defensive midfielder in a mm -hmm. three or something. I mean, you can do a lot with a guy like that. Uh, when you're big and strong and fast and pass well and you're talented, uh, not that he doesn't have plenty of ways to go to develop, but I mean, that's a really versatile, useful piece uh, on a side mm -hmm. that really needs it. Um, I would rather, I, I'm glad that, I think it looks like it's been money well spent, at least the early indications, but for him to come into that game under those circumstances, first time playing, didn't expect to play, you know, all those, those factors, I, I thought he played uh, really, really well. Agreed. Great. He even went forward a couple of times. It's nice to see. Yeah. Uh, cool. So any, any other la final thoughts on the dar before we go to the mailbag? No, no, let's go to the mailbag. All right. So I have not developed any of my answers to these. So yeah. where do these you. questions? So where are these questions? So these questions are from Reddit. We've actually been oh, nice. harvesting questions from Reddit from the Everton redditors and uh, the dark yeah. seedy underworld of reddit <laughs> they're uh they're, they're giving us some good stuff um yeah. some of these uh i'm i'm not going to be as equipped to answer as i want to like they're asking for like possible transfer targets in january and i gotta Already? be honest i'm not i have no idea i'm not so the very first one in portland underscore eric uh is back with a just a cornucopia of questions here it's just a lot um which eric thank you pick out, pick out some good ones <laughs> um well so so he's asking and start off with uh january right back target i don't have any right now i don't i i i don't have it yet if you've got godfrey and john joe kenny unless you're selling john joe kenny they don't need to buy another right back um i think godfrey addresses that backup at that position right now Mm -hmm. um and by the way 
it'll be interesting if Godfrey ends up playing a few games in a row and he looks really good, then suddenly the conversation becomes, should Godfrey be the guy who's playing at that position, maybe primarily? I still think he's ultimately a center half, but I just don't know that it's, I think I would rather spend that money on an attacking, a right-sided attacking player, maybe, as opposed to a, a right back. I think the only reason we'll go right back in January, because I think we hate the January window. Um, I think the only reason we'll go January right back would be if uh, one of our, if we have some really nagging injuries with the players that can possibly play that position. Um, Because we do like to attack. Like Coleman can't play or something like that, you know, for an extended period. Yeah, you probably have to. So uh, Portland underscore Eric, we will pick, we we need to, if you can re-ask that question, like in December, okay? Maybe we'll have more of a clue on that. I'll, I'll um, come next. back on in December and I'll have a, a, a real thought then, okay? <laughs> yes, we're booking in advance. This is awesome. Right, uh, <laughs> so next, uh, Portland Eric asks, do we need to upgrade from Go- Andre Gomes in, Gomes in the midfield? Do we need to upgrade for him? Um, I mean, I... <laughs> I think Andre Gomes is still, um, I mean, he struggled uh, like, like he and Allen both really struggled, I think, on Saturday. I, you know, I think Gomes, I'm, there are times when uh, this season where he's looked really, really good. His passing's been on. He's, he looks like the best version of himself. And then there are other times where he's just so off. And the, the, there's just this wide chasm between he's either really good or really not. And, and, and part of that, I think, and I'm not trying to make excuses, but you know, this is still a guy I think we all need to remember that is less than a year removed from a horribly catastrophic injury. And I think that it's not so much that you need to upgrade. I think that it's more of, you know, he plays and um, he will be pushed as he is being pushed right now by Gilfie Sigurdsson in that that position, who I think there's a decent chance he starts against Southampton. And that's okay. Like, you know, then, then Andre Gomes has to push in training, and, right. you know, to get on the pit. Like, that's the natural course of things. And so I, I think the bigger question is, is do you need to upgrade the midfield? And I think right now we've just invested a lot in that area. And mm-hmm. I'm not inclined to necessarily say we need to do that uh, anytime that soon. Um, bar injuries, especially with Gabamon, um, right. hopefully coming back in November. Um, I think we're going to be okay there. Um, I think the bigger question is, is, does Gomez have a long-term future at the club? Um, I think he's definitely here at least through, you know, given that we just bought him and paid a lot. Of, that's the thing I think a lot of people are get very into this, like, oh, well, uh, I've been disappointed with him for a few months, so I'm ready to get rid of him. I mean, after Everton paid, I think, $26 million or something for him. I mean, just like, let's – and he's on a pretty healthy contract, like – the idea that you can just kind of write him off. I mean, we're not, we're not rich enough of a club like a Chelsea who can just write off a 70 million pound goalkeeper that sucks and they can just go to someone else. Like I think with Andre Gomez, you want to give him guys like him, Alex Awobi guys that have maybe not been awesome right from the start. You have to give them opportunities to, to, to be the best they can because you're going to be paying them anyway. So you might Mm -hmm. as well just retain a little patience for them. Yeah. Uh, I got to agree. You know, I love the idea of having two starters at every position. Why do you have yeah. to nail down exactly who's starting, you know, every week? The idea right. here is we have a squad, right? Right. So, Gilfie, when he's been coming in, he's been playing all right. He's yeah. had some good games when he comes in. So, yeah. it could be that that competition for the position, frankly, 
is what is lighting a fire under his ass. And I feel like that's what we needed more for Pickford is some competition for him to get him to start focusing. Um, that's why I was kind of bummed when we signed, uh, was it Olsen alone? Because um, I, I wasn't completely sure what kind of player we were getting. You know what I mean? I, I was really in some, in, you know, a player, uh, in a player that I was more familiar with, uh, I would be able to say, oh, going to push him. Yeah, that's great. But with this, I was kind of like, I don't know enough. Will he push him? Yeah. I don't know. You know, so yeah. having, having two for every position, I just feel like it's super positive, at least. And you're talking about that flexibility of the other guys. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. You know, Positional flexibility the- is, is a good thing for sure. Yes. Um, so this is a good question. Uh, how long of a prison sentence will Pickford get for assaulting VVD? <laughs> <laughs> uh in reality uh he'll get nothing and uh should he i think his crimes against goalkeeping are way worse than his crimes against uh virgil van dyke personally um <laughs> so in my in my uh you know fictional alice in wonderland universe uh you know i'd give pickford at least 10 years so that uh by the time he gets out he could maybe still you know play in like uh you know, uh, a USL squad somewhere maybe, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> not maybe, you know, so he's not totally done, but not, not play for Everton again, but no, I, yeah, that's, it's, it's all, it's all been overblown. I think we've talked about it and I'm, I'm at the point now where I'm just, I've hit my Pickford overload at this point. Oh my gosh. I had it before we even got on here and I was like, oh. we're going to have to talk about him. Yeah, no, of you course. Know? Of course. It'll probably be my last podcast talking about, the specifics of the derby and i think this will be a good opportunity this week to just kind of move on from it hopefully and, and now the focus really just needs to be on him as as it has been you know uh, on him as a player and not not the specifics of the, yeah. the derby um so next where do you want to travel for 2021 champions league group cha- group stages Ooh, uh, that's a great question. I like the premise and i'm with you my brother and i actually my brother reached out to me a few weeks ago and said if we get in Champions League, we're going. And, you know, of course, I'm hopeful that we have a, a more sane uh, domestic mm-hmm. situation, political situation here in America, one that knows how to competently deal with disease and things like that. And we get a vaccine and, you know, all these caveats aside. But if so, um, man, Champions League, oh, God, where would I – the place that I've – you know, one of the places I've always um, – you know, wanted to, to go to see a game. Um, you know, I'd like to go, of course, to, to at some point, play, you know, see a game uh, at Barcelona or Real mm-hmm. Madrid, like one of the traditional Spanish stadiums. Uh, but I'd also really, I've always wanted to, even though it kind of scares me a little bit, I, I've always wanted to go see uh, an Italian game, like a game ah. at one of the old historical Italian venues, uh, just because that's just a, a different experience, a different cultural experience. And and I've been to Italy, and the food's fantastic. And so I would relish, I would relish uh, uh, Peronis and Carlo Ancelotti leading us into Champions League glory uh, in Italy. I think that'd be great. So maybe right. a or aroma or something like that. Yeah. Great. Yeah. See, what's funny is you were thinking about these like stadiums, these you know epic stadiums and these storied clubs, and I was like, I just want to go to Prague. <laughs> yeah. Prague. Okay, because it looks awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it does look awesome. I'm totally down for that. I'd love to have that problem of like, oh, which cool European city do you want to go to? Right? Yeah, absolutely. Oh 
So, um, so uh, next, let's see if I can actually read this. Victor Bastovich uh, asks, are Liverpool fans just bitter because we're going to go unbeaten all season whilst they <laughs> failed to? Uh, <laughs> well, oh. Vic, Victor, I will give you an answer to that right now. Yes, that is the yes. answer. And that's that the it, answer. There's no other. That's exactly why. And yep, I have nothing more to add to that. <laughs> yes, thank you for your support, Liverpool fans. Um, so, uh, Apartment Bubbly 3810 asks, what leaps higher, Tim Cahill or a kangaroo on a pogo stick? Uh, Calvert-Lewin. Calvert-Lewin, it's, it's option C. It's option C. Though, no, honestly, K yeah, Cahill's incredible. I, I got to say Cahill. Yeah, yeah, but I don't know. I, 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 I tend to think it's sort of like as take any great athlete, you know, you can take Jordan or whatever, and then mm. compare it to something like a, an actual kangaroo or something like that, yeah. and, and the, the animal almost always wins. <laughs> well, I, I just worry about the kangaroo spraining its ankle Messing around on the pogo stick. I'm just saying, I feel, I worry. I would feel unsafe on a pogo stick, much less, I wouldn't imagine how one of them would feel on, on, on a pogo stick for sure. Yeah, it <laughs> seems like, yeah, animal cruelty on some level. <laughs> um, so I think this is a great question. Ben Jarmin asks, with Richarlison being suspended, who now has the biggest opportunity to fill in and make their mark? Alex Iwobi. Me, it's my answer too. I agree. Very cool. I mean, Anthony Gordon, I think, will finally start making the bench. Uh, mm. I think he's an exciting, exciting talent. But Awobi is, again, kind of like we were talking about earlier ago, is he's a guy that we paid a lot of money for. And regardless of how you feel about him, it is incumbent upon us as a club to utilize our existing resources, develop them into better players, as opposed to constantly seeking to throw more, you know, good, you know, more money, good money after bad. I mean, because uh, we're already in financial fair play, you know, kind of gray area as it is. Um, but no, I mean, look, Alex Awobi, I thought, I think has been pretty good this season when he's been called upon for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, better, I think, than what we saw last season. And, and, I, and again, I think that there's just this pervasive excitement and attitude about being part of the squad that, that they want to play. They want to be part of the, the solution and not the problem. You know, they, they seem to all like, you know, even in the league cup games, you know, Wobie and Bernard and those guys coming in and just being mm -hmm. like, man, I, I, they looked excited to play. They look like they wanted to impress. And that just fundamental shift in attitude has been huge. And, and I think this is, I think this is a real opportunity for a um, to to make his mark here and to become part of the the thought process, um, yeah. you know, obviously when Richarlison's back, he starts, but Awobi can put himself up there as this, as someone who becomes a really valuable part of this of this squad. A guy who can come off the bench and 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 really contribute. Um, he's got the skill. It's the consistency that yeah. that he lacks, and and so uh, I you know I'd love to see him do it, but he's going to have three games. I think he's going to have. Uh, by all, unless he just absolutely is terrible, I think he's going to have three straight starts, uh, you know, yeah. while Richarlison is out. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting. He's been getting an opportunity more this season to cut in from the outside, which is where I feel like he's always been more dangerous when he's cutting in rather than being asked to be a winger 
who's right dribbling down to the line going to the corner and crossing i feel like it's it's not his game at all mm-hmm. uh you know cutting in and almost being a, a number 10 coming in from the wing essentially yeah, yeah. The way he, he and plays. bernard are both better in those roles than they are as, yeah. as pure wingers uh, absolutely yeah and uh i will say one of my favorite non-goal highlights was that crazy little backheel skill move he did in the derby uh you know splitting the defenders and then he just gets brought down by Robertson because he didn't left. It <laughs> yeah, was just a cool yeah. moment. It was nice. I was like, yeah, some confidence from him. That was cool. Yeah. You yeah, know, good for him. He's got those moves, no question. Um, so, okay. There's a couple other mailbag questions, but they have to do with stuff we've already covered. So I'm going to put the mailbag away, put it back under my bed. Okay. Moving on, Southampton preview for this weekend. Um, current form. Southampton's 11th in the Premier League, 2-1-2. Two. They have seven points. Their recent results are honestly, they're okay. Uh, 3-3 yeah. draw with Chelsea, 2-0 win over West Brom, and a 1-0 win over Burnley. Um, when you're thinking Southampton, and of course, Walcott's on loan there, can't play against us though, so right. there you go. Uh, but I think you got to think uh, Danny Ings. I think he's the leading goal scorer this season in the Premier League. He's got four. Uh, Che Adams has got two assists. I think they're running with two strikers often. Um, So there's that. Uh, And honestly, a player that I've always admired is uh, James Ward-Prowse in terms of just playing dangerous balls into the box. I just feel like he's a really good passer. Um, You know, he's a good set-piece specialist. Yeah. 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 Um, So I think – Lineup-wise, you could see McCarthy, Bertrand, Vestergaard, Bednarik, Walker-Peters, uh, Oil, Romeo, uh, James Ward-Prowse, Redmond, who also usually plays well against us. That's another, you know, another player who usually does well. I don't know who's going to be their right wing because I think Armstrong may be a doubt to play. I'm not completely sure, so I'm, I'm not sure. This is me. I don't watch Southampton every week, and now I've lost <laughs> no, all credibility, really. sadly. Uh, no, no uh, so I'm not sure who's going to be their right wing. Um, let's just say it's going to be Rob, uh, Danny Ings and Adams up top. And yeah. So who do we, who do you think is going to be starting for us is the question I reckon. Yeah, no, I look, I, I think that, um, I think we've had a pretty, a relatively settled side, uh, for the most part this season, um, I, I think there's a decent chance that Sigurdsson starts for Gomes, uh, along with, with, um, uh, Allen and Decore this time, uh, just, just because I think Sigurdsson has kind of been pushing and it's probably, you know, Gomes got brought off and I, I think he maybe has kind of earned it. We'll see. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not totally sure. We'll see. Um, but otherwise I, I think then you've got, uh, a Wobi in place of Richarlison, of course, Calvert-Lewin up top and, mm-hmm. and Rodriguez on the right. Um, and then as far as the back four goes, uh, obviously, you know, Dean, you always pencil Dean in first, yeah. uh, first, uh, if he's fit. So you've got Dean, I would say Keen Mina. And then I'm, I, I have a, I have a sneaky feeling that, uh, they're going to try to give Coleman a little more time to recover. Um, yeah. you know, he was injured and then, we had the two week break and he still didn't quite look like himself. So I think now with the way Godfrey played uh, on Saturday, they've got the luxury, as I said before, to, to not rush him back into that. So mm-hmm. um, I'm hopeful, obviously that, uh, I, you know, I didn't see anything that made me think that 
Mina's dealing with anything beyond just kind of the normal soreness of of what he's been recovering from. And they've been kind of trying to manage his minutes and only play him once a week and those sorts of things. But so I was I would assume the back four is gonna gonna be Keen, Mina, Godfrey, and, and Dean. And then uh yeah, I think Pickford is is still gonna start, but I think this is a hugely important game for him. Southampton are Always decide they. I think they've got a really uh, a good manager in Hasenhutel, and I think that they get the most out of the talent they generally have most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, bottom line, though, and, and Danny Ings always scores against us. But bottom line, um, we're in an environment where uh, there is not really a distinct home field advantage, if you will, with no fans. Um, so I think a lot of times it really just comes down to. Uh, you know, which side's better, which side's going to execute better. And, you know, talent-wise, I mean, we should expect to go into a game like this. We should expect to win. And we've had the attitude that we can go on the road and play not only play with, but beat Spurs, beat Palace. Yeah. Um, two very good sides uh, who, frankly, are, are, have been better up to this point in the season than Southampton. And so um, I, I, I expect us to go in there. I, the expectation is that we win. Uh, you know, I'm not saying that, that definitely means we will, but my expectation is that we do. Um, assuming that that uh, most of our key guys are fit, even with the loss of Richarlison, right? Which will so, be a big loss, yeah, <laughs> but we can. Definitely. I think we can handle it. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is this is usually it usually proves to be a tricky fixture, you know. Every yeah. year, um, I feel like it's it's never it's never like a layup at home or away. You know what I mean? I feel like right. it's it's been it can be difficult either one. You never know. Yeah which one, but I honestly, though, I don't really as much concern myself with past results as much with this team, with yeah. this year's squad. I just, I just don't. Yeah. Um, they seem a very different given that they had their midfield completely replaced and in, in the addition of Hamas Rodriguez, the entire personality and belief of this, this group feels so different than years past that comparing it to past years is probably, you know, you're, you're, history can form and inform you a little bit, but I think we're talking mm-hmm. about, you know, a, a very different group of players in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, uh, Southampton, I think are, you know, quality enough to certainly beat us, but I think that's true of most uh, games we're going to play this season with any team. Um, yep. The bottom line being that, that I think this, I look at this and I think this is a, a, a squad that we're better than and we should mm-hmm. win this game. And uh, that's pretty much it. So Really quick final score prediction. Um, I am go- Ings will score. I mean, it's just it's written into law. It's death and taxes that Ings will score. Um, but I'm I'm feeling a th- I'm feeling three one Everton. I'm feeling pretty good that we will have some guys bounce back from their performances uh, against Liverpool. And um, you know, I, I just don't think you can really slow down this Hamas Calvert Lewin uh, train that's going right now. Um, it'll be really incumbent upon Awobi to be a good contributor in this game as well. Um, but, and, but honestly, I think he can. I think that he's the kind of player that being surrounded by all these other players who are talented and playing well uh, will help him. I think if you get Sigurdsson in there, you might get. Uh, you know, if he's up for it, which, you know, I'm still trying to emotionally work through forgiving him for his terrible season last season, but 
if he's up for it, he certainly um, you suddenly have a lot of skill out there in terms of passing the ball, and I think Everton could could really control uh, the ball and control the game. Uh, they just have to do that thing that they did uh, for most of the season and just create a lot of chances, and yeah. uh, then you'll score more. Uh, that's my my deep uh, deep uh, sports metrics uh, analysis. <laughs> So I'm going to say, I'm going to go, I'm going to deny the easy money. I am going to say that Ings is not going to score, even though wow. he always has only yes. because I don't like him. And, so, <laughs> and I want it to stop. I want yeah. this to stop. Believe you know, me, if that's all it took. Uh, he would have stopped scoring a long time. Ago. <laughs> I'm, I'm still, I'm keeping the faith. I'm gonna say two nil. I'm gonna say two nil. I think, uh, I think, yeah, and uh, I think no amount of Ings just being absolutely intolerable is. I'm just gonna say he's not gonna get a goal this time. There we go. All right. Yes. So, so I reckon uh, that's it, man. We have. All right. We have uh, we've, gone through we have totally gone through everything everything everton at the moment that we can solve all the world's everton problems yeah yes yes it's uh you know it's nice to feel at peace uh (laughs) now i can sleep uh but um yeah i just want to really quickly uh want to thank you rob it's nice to nice to meet you on here thanks for coming on uh rob do you have anything I mean, honestly, do you have anything you want to you want to plug? I mean, besides the blue room being like awesome. <laughs> um, I would say if you are have not just been totally turned off by my performance on this thing, and you want to follow me on Twitter, you can. I'm at at the Rob Vera, um, which sounds really cocky, but they Rob Vera was taken uh, back when I started getting on Twitter back in the day. So it's the Rob Vera, which sounds really arrogant, uh, but that's. That's my Twitter handle. Um, and uh, hey, if you need an hour of, uh, of nostalgic music escapism on Saturday nights, uh, 11 Eastern, 10 Central time, uh, you can go to kosu.org or thespyfm.com, either one. And uh, my local Oklahoma City music show is uh, playing every Saturday night. And awesome. uh, it's always good music. And so there you go. Those are my plugs. Very cool. Uh, so I will, I will plug our stuff. So oh, and it's called uh, it's called Turn of the Century. By the way, is oh. the name of the show. I should probably say the name of the show. That would probably be. So I'm not very. <laughs> you can tell I don't plug my own stuff. That you know nearly enough uh, in, in actual uh, conversational form. It's uh, it's everything's on Twitter. So I mean, I have <laughs> I have forgotten to to plug my own personal stuff on this show. Like even last week, I forgot. <laughs> like I, I always remember Toffee Blue stuff, but I never remember my own personal thing. So yeah, yeah. Uh, make sure you're checking out for all you people out there. Make sure you uh, subscribe to the Toffee Blues if you haven't already. Uh, a lot of really good content from some, from some cool contributors that, uh, that also you see on this channel. Often uh, they, they, they're, they're there, but they also uh, write content for the Toffee Blues website. So check them out uh, all there. Follow the Toffee Blues on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. So anyway, that's the, that's the Toffee Blues plugging. Also, if, with Christmas coming up, if you're like, gosh, I would like a book about a kid or a moose who, who like wants to learn to run and stuff, I, I've written a book, a children's book. And it's, uh, yeah. So if you're interested in Randolph the Christmas Moose, the concept was birthed 
on the Toffee Blues podcast. <laughs> uh, the, the most insane thing, crazy story. And then me, and I'm the actual idiot that um, decided to make it a reality. So yeah, check that out. Uh, it's, a, it's a nice story of being, being your own moose. Nice. Uh, so yeah, anyway, so that's it. Uh, I guess we're, we're ready to roll. Uh, thanks so much, Rob. Really appreciate it. And I guess, I guess we'll, we'll go ahead and peace out for everybody else out there. Let's have a good one this weekend. Let's get three points and let's uh, keep this unbeaten top of the table train rolling. All right. Bye. Bye.